This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hello, folks. Welcome to Inclusive Collective, where we share stories and learnings of inclusive people, organizations, and innovation. I am your co-host, Nadia Butt an organizational development and belonging strategist. And I am joined by my other lovely co-host, Rob Hadley, a people and culture strategist specializing in DE&I and people analytics. Hello, Rob. How are Here you? Here I week? am. Here you are. That's Welcome. what I do. What's going on? Not much, not much. Uh, you know, just uh, excited to get into another week. Another big show here. Yes. Nadia, really I did have something for show. you. Oh, I did, did have something for you. Okay. Do you have that? any ads that annoy you? Anything that annoys you? I mean, everything annoys me these days. <laughs> <laughs> but the ads, you know, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts, obviously. Uh-huh. And I feel like when I'm listening to them, I'm getting a lot of like, oh, buy this mattress or like. Yeah. Yeah. Not our and podcast though, right? You you, you enjoy all the ads from our. Some, no, I love all our ads. All our ads <laughs> are great. Yeah, whoever they um, no, are. Yeah. It's the smart, it's the smartless ads. Oh, like is it? Oh, yeah, it's oh, like not, it's all not... like the mattress. I will say there's like a therapy one that's really good that I'm like, oh, I hope people take advantage of this. But why? <laughs> why are you asking me this question? Are you because I'm kind of annoyed and I'm and I'm speaking specifically about the ones that track you across the internet. Uh, so like there's this, there's this like guy who's like, you know, has like like silver hair and he's like shirtless making uh like a smoothie. Okay. And he's tracking me all over the internet. And I think it's some sort of like supplement. And so like this guy is like, he's like really good shape. And he's like, clearly yeah. like 50, like late 50s. He's hilarious. And I'm like, that's not me. I'm not, uh, I'm not there yet. Well, you know? at least it's not the my pillow guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I mean this guy's very impressive, but I mean, he's like, I don't, I don't want to see him all the time. Like wherever yeah. I go on the internet. Like, does it make you feel bad about yourself? Uh, no, it's like, I know that I won't get there and, you know, in, in the next 10 to 15 years, I won't look like that. So yeah. Okay. I mean, you're looking great though, Rob. Hey, all right. Thank you. you. That's it. All right. I guess we can kick it off now after that. Shall we get into the deets? (laughs) Let's deep. All right. right. Let's get started. Let's talk about, uh, from, from, uh, last week, some, something in the news. We're going to talk about Dilbert. Yes. Our friend Dilbert, or actually not Dilbert, we can't blame the actual cartoon character, but the distributor of Scott Adams' Dilbert comic strip, Andrews McNeil Universal, announced that it was severing ties with the cartoonist. Mm-hmm. This occurred after Adams called black people a hate group and a racist tirade on his internet video program, urging white people to stay the heck away from black people, 
The syndicated comic strip would no longer be carried by the Washington Post, the LA Times, and other newspapers across the nation, according to previous announcements. So, Nadia, just <laughs> I can't. So one, I'm so so, so one, I'm super pissed because yeah. about this because I managed to somehow through all the Trump years not know that Scott Adams of uh-huh. Dilbert was a big Trump supporter. And there, there are lots of signs of this. There's a lot of signs indicating that maybe this wasn't a person that I was uh, aligned to or in terms of my personal values and political views. And so I had no idea. And, and sometimes that ignorance is bliss, right? Because I really, mm-hmm. I enjoy the comic. I was upset to find out that Scott Adams sucks and, and you know, it really ruined it for me. So mm-hmm. I want to hear your thoughts because you are always the person that believes in redemption I do. And I in know. learning and, and coaching and the value I, of, of coaching. So I don't think there's you know, what can be learned from this? <laughs> so, I mean, I'm not a, a big fan of cancel culture. Like, you know that. But, you know, great on Washington Post, LA Times, all these other kind of newspapers who decided to sever those ties with him. I mean, like as an organization, you have to you you have the right to decide on the partnerships that no longer either serve your organization or align to like you said personal values organizational values right. principles and and cut ties with those folks and that's probably why that's probably why we're not on Ron DeSantis's top 10 podcasts to listen to right like <laughs> Wait, we're not? No, I don't think oh, so. I didn't know we um, had so that. cool. You know Great on kind of those news outlets, because I do think that this decision to sever those ties, cut those ties, it also is it holds kind of um, for me, it helps not to perpetuate. Right. Like this blatant hate that Mm -hmm. continues and give him a platform to do so. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any saving this person. I, I don't have any yeah, time. To I, I did want to take a him. little bit of a positive angle here in that I believe that Scott Adams is not alone in not knowing what the hell he's talking about. Yeah. So the survey that Adams was responding to in his in his uh, uh, tirade, as they call it here, uh, was provocative in asking the question if it's OK to be white. And it would seem that he didn't necessarily know the history or understand that that statement has been linked to white supremacist movements. I mean, clearly he has he has some issues, but yeah. you know, I just think that there's even the the that statement in and of itself in the context of a poll is provocative. Yeah. And I think that like, you know, I just think of in the context of you and I have talked about it before, right? So I'm so confused when I read things about uh, diversity, equity, inclusion. How about how it's dangerous? You know, and people honestly believe the woke this. work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm perplexed, right? So pe- you know, so like again, people that are in organizations that are there to make sure that everyone feels respected and seen and heard in order that, so that they can do their best work. Those that want to ensure that make sure that everyone has an opportunity to thrive. Those people are dangerous, right? So that's the line around DE&I. And yeah. so if I have any empathy for Scott Adams, it's the fact that a lot of people don't know what's going on and are being pushed in a direction that they're not aware of, often by their media of their choosing, right? Like, so, so that's, I, I just think that a lot of people are going in the wrong direction and being pushed that way. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, there's that influence happening. And we're, I think we're going to see it, unfortunately, continue to fester because of the political landscape and the elections in 2024. So we're going to continue to hear people kind of mention DE&I work and woke work and not really have a true understanding of what that work entails. 
Can I throw one more thing at this on Please. you? Like, yeah. just keep talking about uh, Dilbert here. But so Scott Adams is gone, and I think that's probably appropriate as you laid out. But remember, on the heels of this whole controversy, our friend Elon Musk, oh I believe he owns uh, a, a, a you know, middling social media company, he made these very direct and overt statements that were aligned with that white supremacist ideology, right, about the fact that the media is racist against white people. And so if you think about Scott Adams, he said something kind of an unhinged way, but Elon Musk had much more time to think about what he was saying and make the statements that not that he he really edits himself or thinks deeply about what he says, but he seems to be getting worse and he's really dipping his toe into some of these more unseemly waters and mm. really putting his brands at risk. And, you know, so I think that, I don't know, you don't own a Tesla, do you? I do not, but I, I know so, people who do. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think people are going to have to start to grapple with the fact that they're driving cars with someone who seems to be really veering toward some of these white supremacist ideas and companies like JP Morgan Chase, right? Who are bankrolling sure. this guy have to start thinking about it as well and how they're aligned with him. So I'm confused about how his statements didn't go farther. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, we'll have to maybe dig deeper into that in another episode because I think there's a lot of different organizations that sell products that maybe don't align to other values that we may have. And so I've always had this inward conversation with myself reflection around like other organizations that like may promote certain wars or aid certain countries with certain things. And so let's not get into a political rant, but something to consider and definitely talk about the next time around, I think for sure. Um, let me go ahead and go into my deet. So on the same tone of here, we're talking mm -hmm. about diversity, equity, inclusion, those DEI roles are going through turbulent times. So, SHRM, which is the Society for Human Resource Management, reported in 2020 that DEI roles increased by 55%. And by the end of last year, so the end of 2022, those roles started to decline. The attrition rate for DEI roles was 33% at the end of 2022, compared to 21% for non DEI roles. Much of that was due to layoffs and other sort of attrition factors. Another survey showed that Black employees represent only 3.8% of chief diversity officers overall, whereas white people make up 76.1% of the roles. Those of Hispanic or Latino ethnicity, ethnicity make up 7.8%, and those of Asian ethnicity make up 7.7%. You know, of course, they're tracking race. I didn't see gender measurements, but this was done by Revelio Labs, which is a New York-based company that was tracking this data. So I'll go first, just really brief this data and these studies. Like I think they're starting to really expose this harsh reality of mm -hmm. the disingenuousness around the commitment in DNI that these companies had. Unless I'm missing something, which I could very well be, where maybe, maybe these companies are starting to value the fact that. We shouldn't separate DEI, really embed those competencies into other kind of work streams, maybe LD work, maybe learning development work, maybe just through values and principles. And people are really starting to behave in the ways that we inclusive ways and behaviors. I'm not sure. I will tell you what I'm seeing is not that case in the work that I do. So I will pause there for your reaction if you have one. Those were crazy numbers, Nadia. I think mm -hmm. you and I 
chatted a little bit about this. We had Tara Robertson on a couple of weeks ago, DEI and leadership consultant. She has written or talked about how most DEI leaders are white mm-hmm. and just at a very high level. And I, I thought the number was more like 30%. <laughs> and mm-hmm. So, like when yeah. I heard these numbers there, it's like, what, it's 4% black, 8% Hispanic, Latina, like you said, 8% Asian, folks of Asian descent. Yeah. So, I would have guessed completely you know, the complete reverse. The article talked about how companies in 2020 hired chief diversity officers. And that was, you know, certainly one of the reasons I started consulting. I thought there'll be these new CDOs, mostly women of color, and I can help them and that and work for them. And as a white male, that made sense to me. And, and to be in that supporting role for people that I thought would mostly <laughs> be uh, women of color. The one thing I would say that and you and I have experience with this is not totally uncommon. So I think that these roles were hired in and people didn't necessarily know, companies didn't know exactly what the hell they were going to do in these roles. They didn't know necessarily have strategies laid out. They were, it was, it was very reactionary at the time. And so it's not uncommon if you ever worked in change or transformation work in a large mm-hmm. company, even something say like transforming to a lean or agile management system, right? Like a, a company CEO gets talked into something by McKinsey or Bain or BCG on a you know jet ski weekend in the Hamptons or whatever, they yeah. drop five hundred million dollars on a on an initiative over a couple of years. They realize midway through that they didn't know what the hell they were doing. They get bored for whatever. They get unfocused. Other priorities come up. They fire everyone. They move on to the next initiative. Right. So that's that's not uncommon. And and oftentimes you know, they're we, set up for failure. <laughs> right, right. And yeah. so it's any kind of change or transformation works. So that's not uncommon that these things go away. This is particularly painful in this episode and sparks cynicism given the circumstances that we were dealing with and how this all came about. And given that we're dealing with issues of race and gender and disability, and a lot of these folks will be feeling let down. So very disappointing yeah. uh, article. And we see a lot of this from from companies. And it's just that we see this in this context and it hurts a little bit more. Totally. And, you know, one thing I'll add, too, is that I, um, when I was reading this article, it did not state if, they, if the study was based off of global companies or national companies. I do think that matters. When we think of diversity, equity, inclusion, when we're talking in the context of the United States, we get very particular about the type of person that should lead this work. That is not necessarily the case in other countries um, mm-hmm. national, and, and, you know, when we think globally. And so... It's interesting, and I, I think I just want to continue to to push people, challenge people to think about how you want your organization, especially the DEI team community, to reflect the makeup of your client base, your community base, your customer base, um, and absolutely, you know, your upper, your underrepresented, historically marginalized group of people, absolutely, who have the skill sets to help you know, continue to build those competencies and diversity, equity, inclusion, and embed those behaviors into the mm-hmm. workplace are really the skilled folks that can continue to push that work forward. I totally agree with you. And I think it's a further discussion that we have that, you know, in another episode, perhaps where we, we, maybe we find a guest who, who talks about what DEI looks like in another country. Um, because I would love to understand that a little bit better, better, um, from a representation perspective. But Great yeah, I, uh, the other aspect too is just like when we think of attrition, we think of like the layoffs. P- this work is very draining and there's mm-hmm. the burnout is also very real, right? So when we think about 
people also perhaps the decline could also very well be because people are just leaving the work um, and leaving kind of the industry because of the right, burnout. Right, right. I think we know that there's plenty of that as well, right? There is. And right, right. like <clears throat> these people are handed a laundry list of things to, of priorities that are on the list, but not enough talent to really handle the workload yeah, or resources yeah. or budget. So yeah, usually at the top of the list and racism. That's number, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, anyways, thanks for that, Rob. That's it for the deets this week. We will be right back with our guest, Payam Abbasian of REI. Welcome back. This week on Inclusive Collective, we are joined by Payam Abbasian. Payam is a principal and head of investments at REI Co-op Path Ahead Ventures. At REI, Payam leads a team that is dedicated to making strategic investments that support the company's business goals and impact objectives. And there he plays an instrumental role in advancing diversity and representation in the outdoor industry. Previously, he's worked in early stage venture capital as a tech founder and operator. Payam is a true steward of the outdoors and lives by a powerful creed that values the planet and its people above all else. For him, a life spent outdoors is the ultimate expression of human fulfillment. Today, Payam lives in Brooklyn and you can frequently find him trail running, scrambling and continually pushing his own limits in his favorite spots, including the Adirondacks up and down the Sierras, and in the Cascades. We'll have to have you out here in Utah, Payam. Join us out here as well. Payam, we are so excited to have you today. Join us on Inclusive Collective. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Nadia. Rob, it's great to be here. So grateful you could join us on Inclusive Collective this week, Payam. Um, I got to say, I love REI. <laughs> I live down the street from one, and my family has been shopping there for like over 30 years now. So I'll just dive into the, the first question here. So you and your team lead this great work, the REI Co-op's um, Path Ahead Ventures, which offers full spectrum support to startups owned and led by Black, Indigenous, Latina, and Asian American um, Pacific Islander people. Can you tell us more about the program and why REI felt this was something that they had to do? Yeah, thank you. So Really, Path Ahead Ventures is the result of months of discussions with hundreds of founders, investors, and industry community leaders to understand the current challenges and really identify opportunities where REI can bring unique value to founders. And so what we did is launch this initiative that's to invest $30 million in 300 founders of color as they start and scale their businesses in the outdoor industry. And so through Path Ahead Ventures, what we're trying to do is leveraging our network internally and externally, our capabilities and our community to partner with Black, Indigenous, Latino, Latina, Latinx founders, and Asian American Pacific Islander entrepreneurs to build their businesses faster. And so for us as founders of color, as they succeed, the industry becomes stronger, it becomes more inclusive and really welcoming to all people. I love that. Just to follow, because I'm so curious, like, do you have an understanding of like what types of challenges these entrepreneurs were facing to get kind of in this industry? So I'll paint the picture of what it looks like today in the venture capital industry, and then I'll go a little bit into the challenges they're facing. And so, you know, less than 2% of roughly the 31 billion that's held by 200 of the biggest early stage funds is allocated to startups with diverse mm -hmm. leaders. Right. Looking at it from another angle, 
in the half a trillion dollar outdoor industry, only about a percent of those retail brands are owned or led by people of color. Oh, wow. And so what this really means is that DEI funds, underrepresented minorities, and women are still grossly underfunded. And it's not meaningfully improving. And so really systemic change needs to occur. Now, the challenges that these founders face in their journeys are really vast. So it's from disparities and access to things like family and friends capital, to facing unconscious biases in the fundraising process, the founders really confront the effects of racial disparities at every step. And so the startup world broadly has a major opportunity to move the needle on these disparities that really keep these businesses, founders, and investors from reaching their full potential. And when we look at and focus our attention on the outdoors specifically, it's really fitting that you know, America's most famous wilderness guide, Sacagawea, was a woman of color, or that among the early Yosemite park rangers, it was a cavalry of black soldiers. Mm. But it's also really tragic that throughout American history, ethnic minorities have often been underrepresented, intentionally excluded from the outdoors. Mm. And so the issue isn't really for us that people of color in America don't care about nature or environmental issues. Mm -hmm. It's more that the outdoor industry hasn't historically been an ally. Mm -hmm. And so changing this pattern really begins with dialogue. It's followed by lowering barriers to entry, increasing access, and creating this atmosphere that allows beginners to familiarize themselves and feel comfortable with outdoor recreation. Um, it's not an overnight process, but it's really something that has a clear path forward and can be achieved. Cool. Yeah, Payam, talk about that clear path forward. Or, I mean, you've been at this for a little bit. What are some of the things tactically that you've learned or things that uh, either success stories or things that have surprised you about this uh, this journey that you're on and what's worked so far and what uh, would you need to improve going forward? You know, it's interesting. We're still learning every single day. Um, this is the greatest learning curve of my career so far, but it's one that's in deeply impactful and it's a lot of fun. And so in our first year of investing, 2022, um, we had a lot of success. Um, we made 11 investments across various sectors from apparel to consumer tech and cycle to ready to eat meals. I think back to one of our early investments, which we haven't made public yet, so I can't reveal its identity. Uh, but that's fair. They were in a really, yeah, the challenge. <laughs> they were in a really precarious position. Mm -hmm. um, their lead investor had recently pulled out of its commitment and left the company holding the bag. And that's a tough position to be in as a founder. So when you have obligations to your team, to your customers, and to yourself as a founder, it's like, what do I do? And so despite this vote of confidence, I think in most situations, nine out of 10, the other investors, if the lead pulls out, everyone else kind of topples as well. Yep. We didn't do that. We reinforced our full support. Our involvement actually ultimately helped the founder oversubscribe its round. And today they're crushing it. And what we've noticed is that Really, for systemic change, the systemic change I refer to, for this to occur, it can occur in the silo. Mm. It requires partnership and it requires teamwork. Mm. Candidly, I didn't know the temperature when I joined REI. The big question was, is REI on an island by itself? Mm. And what I've learned since is really encouraging. Overall, the outdoor industry is ready to step up. 
We're not the first company to meaningfully address underrepresentation, but Path Ahead Ventures is definitely a catalyst to this more broad and more significant advancement. It really sometimes takes that one person or company in this case to draw a line in the sand and say, starting right now, we're going to do things differently. And that's exactly what we've done. The, the response has been overwhelming. Uh, people, companies, retailers, organizations, they've reached out from all over to work with us. And we're truly grateful. Um, but the show's just getting started because the real stars are the founders. So tell me, like, how do these these founders, these entrepreneurs find you? I mean, Aria is such a world-renowned company and, and, and name, but the, the Ventures is fairly new. And so I'm curious, like, how do you recruit people to encourage them to apply into the program? And then I'd also just love to know, too, like, what what is like success look like for you and your team as it relates to like these entrepreneurs? Like what would, what would be like the sign of the good work and success look like for you folks? So we try to build a really big ecosystem and make it really easy for founders to find us. A lot of the issues in venture capital has to do with access, right? And so we're trying to bridge that access we don't want to act like there's a big wall and fence around us. So there is no founder or company that's too small or too early to engage with us. Across our programs and our fund, we have a place for every single founder. And so it's really a balance between inbound and outbound. On the inbound side, we're working really hard to build this ecosystem of investors, of retail executives, of our store employees, of uh, external partners to, you know, they're out there, they can identify who the up and coming founders are. And through those relationships, we're introduced to a lot of people. On the outbound side, we have a website, we have uh, forums that founders can fill out to reach us. We're all very responsive on LinkedIn and different social. And so we will receive emails or messages almost every single day. And we make a really, really good effort to reply to everybody. Mm. And in the event that we can't as a fund provide support to somebody, we look to connect them with the stakeholder or investor or retailer that can. That's great. And you mentioned what does success look like. And right. so we have this twofold view of ROI and what success looks like for the fund, its investments, and the outcomes. And it's really all meant to support both broad business and strategic initiatives, but it comes down to a few things. Um, it comes down to how many founders in our ecosystem can we meaningfully impact? And how does that advance diverse representation in the outdoor industry? Looking at it closer, we're trying to balance impact and returns. We believe that if we lead with impact, the returns will follow. Oftentimes, venture capital will look at returns first and impact becomes an afterthought. That doesn't mean that we don't overlook things like business fundamentals, capital efficiency, or a strong team. Those are important. Rather, what it means is that our initial filter rests on if we first, as a fund and the co-op, can create this meaningful path to value creation and impact for the company. And then 
does the company's product or service positively impact the industry? We want at least one of these to be true. More broadly, we have these organizational goals that include advancing REI's commitment to adding more body pop owned and led brands to our assortment, yeah. and then also investing and partnering with over 300 founders across the life of the fund and just establishing this industry-wide resource for fueling entrepreneurship, for fueling innovation and job growth. Hey, Payam, is it getting easy? So you've been at this a couple of years. You talked about that first year and founding and uh, investing in, in some of these founders. Is it getting harder or easier to find founders to invest in? Uh, and, and, and what I mean by that is, are the investments that you're making, that REI is making and other companies in the outdoor uh, space, is it creating more innovation? Is it creating more founders, more companies? Um, and, you're, and you're finding better opportunities as you get uh, later in your fund? I think there are always going to need challenges to this. So some parts get easier, right? As you continue to do deals and support founders, you tend to see similar things over and over again. And so that part of it becomes a bit easy. Mm. Um, but there are always challenges, right? Companies are growing. There are more founders out there. And as a fund, we only have so much bandwidth. So the challenge then becomes, how do we meaningfully support companies um, that are all coming to us at the same time? You know, we have this interesting space in between our programs and our fund. Sometimes companies fall in between that space, right? Mm -hmm. um, they're too advanced for the program but they might not be at the stage where we can invest in them yet. Mm -hmm. And so how do we bridge that gap? That's a challenge we're looking at right now. And one way we're thinking about bridging this is through content, right? Um, another part of this disparity is education. Mm -hmm. There isn't enough education out there focused on the disparities and the challenges underrepresented founder space, mm -hmm. right? So how can we cater that? There's a lot of information out there about how to build a tech startup, there's less information out there on how to build a retail startup or a startup that has a physical product. And so we're really trying to gap the, uh, fill this gap with that sort of service. Could you tell me more about or tell us more about the accelerator program in terms of if you have the opportunity, could you highlight like maybe one or two um, ventures that, are, that you're seeing come out of these kind of accelerator programs and the support that you're providing? Yeah, absolutely. So we have two accelerator programs. One is called Embark and one is called Navigate. The Embark program is for really early stage companies. Uh, oftentimes they're pre-product, pre-revenue. They're out there to achieve some sort of proof of concept. And we provide them with like funding, um, a grant uh, with mentorship that's really catered to that stage. And then we have Navigate. Navigate's for companies that are a bit further along. They have a product in the market. They've generated some revenue and they face a different set of challenges. For Navigate specifically, we provide funding, mentorship, curated programming, and really access to REI's production, distribution, and marketing expertise. Wow, that's huge. The program. Yeah. It's really exciting. It's a great opportunity. Um, we connect these founders to a network of peers and mentors. Everyone gets paired up with someone in the industry to help them along the program. Um, and this is for their continued growth. So the companies selected uh, receive funding opportunities, one through this equity free grant that we give, and then additional equity funding through our fund. 
We're selecting our second cohort right now. Applications are open. Um, and our first cohort featured really incredible companies and founders. Among them included Alpine Parrots. It was founded by an incredible founder, uh, Raquel Velez. Alpine Parrots out there um, building outdoor technical apparel, catering to extended sizes. Another company, Oya, founded by uh, Michelle Gilbert. It's focused on women's athleisure designed for reproductive health. And what we learned in our first year is that companies require different things at different times in their life cycle. Um, and we're working on that to make the programming even more personalized for the companies so that it's addressing exactly what they need at this time versus it being more cookie cutter. Very cool. Um, I love those stories. Payam, I think about, again, just to reinforce what Nadia said, we were talking before the show, it's REI is this brand that like we have, you know, just incredibly favorable impressions of, right? Like there aren't many brands where you can think about it. They're like, wow, I have like a 35 year relationship with this brand and it's only positive, right? Even thinking of it as a company and the values of that company, I know that, you know, you don't, you don't operate on, you know, the, the, like on Thanksgiving and, and uh, it's always had, you know, high employee involvement. It's a co it's a co-op, right? So as this very favorable um, impression of the brand, how does it, how does Path Ahead fit with other EDI ventures or uh, equity, diversity, and inclusion ventures within REI? Is it aligned? Is it, is it a part of an overall strategy? Uh, how, how does that fit together in your, in your uh, opinion? Thanks for the kind words. It's part of the reason I joined REI. It was my relationship with the company and as a member I was like, there has to be something amazing happening with an REI. And so um, it was a great decision I made. But to your question, um, we sit within our racial equity, diversity, inclusion strategy. So oh, wow. it's very aligned. As a cooperative, we are really uniquely positioned to impact a broad array of societal issues. We're a community of 16,000 employees. We have 21 million members. And we have plans to grow to a 50 million member community. Oh, and so there's this tremendous power when a community of our size comes together to support the causes we care about. We have a long history to your point of taking bold actions to positively impact society from closing our doors on Black Friday for good to becoming carbon neutral in our operations to investing in diverse founders. Mm -hmm. Um, this commitment really builds on this decades of diversity, equity, and inclusion at the co-op. And right now, I think that some of our efforts um, that are closely aligned to what we're doing at Path Ahead, one is diversifying our workforce. So we're working to create a workforce diversity at all levels, from HQ to the stores to the DCs. So in the last year, We've expanded efforts to diversify our pipeline of candidates and manage that inherent bias that happens in the hiring process. Yep. The second is diversifying our product offering. So the products we make and sell really represent one of REI's greatest opportunities to advance better and more inclusive ways of doing business. Um, earlier this year, we launched and co-created a hype collection with Outdoor Afro to help solve an unmet need in outdoor apparel. So for the first drop in this multi-launch collection, 
what happened is that Outdoor Afro and REI worked really closely with members of the Black community to understand their outdoor product needs. And we began developing a collection together to inspire and really ignite more Black joy in nature. So it's this multi-piece hype collection that includes apparel and accessories, and it's meant to bring a more inclusive design to the forefront. And so customers are gonna, customers are gonna find a new fit option that considers a wider range of body types, shapes, and sizes. So everything we do is very intentional and they're all adjacent to each other, but the ultimate goal is doing what we set out to do, which is to increase uh, diverse representation in the outdoors. I am, uh, you see me smiling. I have like an ear to ear grin because I literally just read something maybe a month ago on how um, REI continues to be focused on like inclusive marketing of various sizes, hair types. Um, you folks have implemented procedures to prevent like cultural appropriation and product design and marketing. I mean, come on, this is amazing. Like, so I appreciate the good work you folks are are continuing to do. And also because you are a leader in this industry, you're setting the example, right? You're role modeling kind of the example of how to market, how to really embed, incorporate some of these procedures and policies, um, you know, these inclusive procedures and policies into place. So that's that's fantastic. Excellent. Thank you. So, Payam, we always ask our guests for one resource that they would recommend related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, do you have something to share with our audience and our listeners? Yeah, I actually have a couple of things. So one has to do more with diversity in Silicon Valley and the venture capital space, and the other is from a venture capital fund. So I'll start with the book. Um, I really like a book called Brotopia by Emily Chang. Mm. Um, in this book, she explores gender discrimination and overall the lack of diversity in Silicon Valley. Mm. Um, the book goes through this history of the tech industry and how it has really become dominated by men and also highlights the challenges as faced by women and minorities in the industry. This extends to startups and entrepreneurship everywhere. Um, I agree with the overall messaging that the deck is so stacked against women and underrepresented founders, and in ways that are oftentimes invisible to everyone around them, it's not really enough to level the playing field. We just need to build a new one. Mm. Um, so that book is excellent. And then I would direct everyone's attention, if you want to learn more about diversity in venture capital, Harlem Capital puts out really, really good reports on diversity in venture capital. And if you follow... Um, the Twitter accounts of some of the people that work at Parliament Capital, um, they're tweeting about it every single day. Um, it's really rich content. It's really real content. And it highlights both the disparities, but what we can do to cap it. Pyam, are you trying to get me back on the Twitter? <laughs> I'm just kidding. You left recently. I left recently, <laughs> so I might have to get back on to see what Harlem Capital is up to. Excellent. Well, Pyam. Thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it. That was uh, great. And again, reinforced a lot of the, the things that we were thinking about REI. And so, uh, you know, really appreciate you being here. And hopefully you can come back and talk about uh, some other investments that you made at some point. Rob, no, you got, this was fun. This was great. Thanks for having me. Um, I appreciate it. And I can't wait to listen. Thanks, Pam.
Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back with our calm reflections and raves and rants. Welcome back, folks. We just finished chatting with Payam Abbasian of REI's Path Adventures. Big fan of REI, Rob. I'm lo- I loved our conversation. I feel they're doing really great work, not just for underrepresented communities, but the environment. Um, they're very inclusive of sizing, very inclusive of um, you know just culture. And so really, really good work. What were your thoughts? I feel like you're going to go to REI as soon as we're done I, here. I literally did. I was going to ask <laughs> him for a discount and I was like, no, that's okay. I'm not going to ask him for a I discount. I know. Was, you know, you know me. I am, I am, I'm a skeptic and uh, bordering on and, and every, every once in a while diving into cynicism. But, uh, you know, I'm a really, I, I, I really like that brand, really like that company and it's great to chat with Pi. I did think like almost immediately we started talking about the outside, like, are there other companies within retail that would have such an, in a, in a targeted industry that could do what REI could do? And I feel like they're the only people that could do this, right? And yeah. they would have this outsized impact because they are the, you know, the first position. When you start thinking about the outdoor industry, like in, in your mind share, they're the first position, at least for me. And I think for you as well, I was just trying to think about, you know, is it, is this something that could be replicated in other other places? So I do hope that we can have Payam back on. We have a lot more more questions uh, for him that came out of all the the great conversation we just had. Absolutely. All right, all let's right. rant Should, and rave. Let's rant and rave. Um, I'll go first with my rants. This is sports. Rob. Oh no! I didn't share this one with you. Exciting. I just read in the Wall Street Journal that the worst NFL team to play. For is the Washington Commanders. Did you read this oh, at all or see this? Why? Just because of so well, there was a survey and the players uh, took the survey. So according to the players themselves, the Washington Commanders have the worst workplace conditions, including gross hot tubs, mm. weight rooms that present um, safety hazards, and rats in the hampers. It's so gross. Oh. Um. So you would think with the number of like money, kind of profit that sports in general make but i'm sure the nfl um in the entertainment industry that they could afford to have comfortable and safe workplace conditions so come on sports yeah well they also have a ton of uh lawsuits and and legal issues with regard to sexual harassment they uh, domestic abuse they had to change i mean they changed their name just only recently after many years of of people yeah. from sovereign tribal nations trying to get them to change their name. And so you can see that there's a high degree of correlation between poor leadership and poor results, right? They're also a terrible football team. So yeah. there you go. Oh, also, wow. You go. Really- they are selling the team and hopefully they will, like they will have a, an owner that takes these things seriously. And, yeah. you know, because obviously it's a great city that deserves a great football franchise. Yes. Yeah. All right. So let's Um, go to your rave. All right. As part of a larger effort to increase diversity within its toy selection, Lego, Lego, another great brand, introducing a number of new figures with disabilities, characters with Down syndrome, limb differences, anxiety, uh, vitiligo, and a dog in a wheelchair are among the cast. They're part of Lego Friends, a set of more realistically Lego characters that have been reimagined to feature greater diversity, different skin tones, ethnicities, apparent 
and invisible disabilities and neurodiversity, all very apparent. So nothing but just great example here. Applaud the effort. Legos are obviously another great brand. My perspective is that it's it's a very positive thing, but I, we were, we are going to have uh, keep it uh, a rave, Rob. <laughs> we're going to have more disability experts, but I think that I'm I'm just saying that you know I, I should definitely check with someone who is a disability expert to see if they're doing it appropriately. But sure. at least from initial uh, look, it's a very positive thing, and I applaud their effort. That's great. Yeah, really cool. Really good work, Lego. All right, that's it for our show today. Inclusive Collective is a production of Refillion Media. We'd love to hear from you. So send us your feedback at inclusivecollective at refillion.com. You can find us at LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. If you like what you heard, be sure to rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. If you want to get in touch with us for consulting, reach out to Nadia at nasconsultants.com and Rob at Consulting.com. I am also hosting a DEI data measurement reporting masterclass on May 11th. Details on that at climateforDEI.com. Thanks again to our guest, Payant Mabasiam of REI Path Ahead Ventures. Nadia, we'll be back next week. Be well. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.